Please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 30. You might remember that in this portion of, of the book that there's been a dramatic going back and forth, looking at the scene of David and what was being required of him, the, the hard place he had because of his double life, and then, then looking at Saul and then back at David again. So here, after David has been dismissed by the Philistines, he goes back to his home city of Ziklag. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were, who were there, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept, until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahanom the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Recent weeks mark the beginning of school for many in the congregation. It's an exciting time of learning and growing. But uh, you might recognize that there are other types of schools that we attend. It may not be that you go to a school building. It may not be that you are homeschooled. It may be that you are in a school of suffering, a school that we might call the school of hard knocks. David has been enrolled in something like this type of school. Contrary to popular opinion, the school of hard knocks isn't just a random happening of events. It isn't bad luck. It isn't something that occurs outside of God's will. No, God has purposes in all things that you go through, and he has purposes that you might grow in your dependence upon him. You see, God was training David. He was training to deepen his dependence upon God, rather than depending upon his own strength. It's a lesson that we would have hoped that David would learn earlier, but as is often the case, it seems like Lessons of life need repetition. Susan and I were talking about that pattern in, in just the education of our children, about how oftentimes a lesson in math or in spelling or history comes up again and again. And there's a purpose to that. There's a purpose so that you would know that subject well. There'd be something kind of, kind of a muscle memory so that when you come up against that type of fraction again, you'll remember how to do it. Well, this was a lesson that David needed to learn. It's a lesson that we all need to learn. 
in this passage, it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. For that reason, I want to set before you today that the Lord is our strength. Therefore, strengthen yourself in the Lord. We'll begin by looking at David's test. We might say his next test. It's not like this is the first time that he has suffered. This has been an ongoing lesson for David. And most recently, we've seen that God had delivered him out of the hand of the Philistines. He delivered him from the danger just because of living with enemies that would tend to try to kill him. We also saw that God was delivering him from what David had devised of his own making took matters into his own hands. And in this way, he was forsaking this type of dependence that the Lord was teaching him. He wasn't depending upon the Lord. He was trusting in his own wits, in his own craftiness, and his own military schemes. And since David was caught in this, caught in a way that endangered his life and the life of all of his followers, the Lord acted to deliver him. By God's providence, the Lord used the Philistines themselves to release David. So David was returning to the city that had been given to him by the Philistines. And yet when he got there, he faced another test, didn't he? He found that the city was burned. He found that it was empty. The Amalekites had raided David's city. They took everything. They took what was valuable, they took the livestock, and most precious, they kidnapped the women and children that belonged to David and all of his men. What a shattering disaster. Just imagine, as, as David and his men were traveling home, you can almost hear them almost laughing. You know, how did we get away with our lives? How did we escape that? God was sure good to us. Hey, what's, what's that smoke on the horizon? Isn't that where Ziklag is? No, 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 no. And as they rushed towards the city, they found it burned and desolate. And their families kidnapped. And it said that they wept until they had no more strength. These were well-trained, battle-seasoned men. And they're overcome by this disaster. Not only did they weep, but when they caught their breasts, their, the tears of the men turned towards anger and recriminations. They had been with David through thick and thin, but this was too much. Their families were taken away. They didn't know at this point whether they were alive or dead. There were no bodies, and so they could hope against hope. But now, when this happened, the person that they trusted, who was their captain and leader, they began to mutter against. They complain, even to the point of planning to kill him, to stone him. An act of supreme rejection and judgment. 
So the text says, now David was greatly distressed. No kidding. There must have been a roller coaster going on in David's life. There was relief that he has escaped from the Philistines, only to have this mounting fear as he approached the city and the mess that he found there. He had gone out of the frying pan right into the fire because not only was his family kidnapped and not only was everything destroyed, but his own men were turning against him. They wanted to kill him. The amazing thing here is that God had a purpose in this as well. That's what we mean when we talk about God being sovereign over all things. He's either sovereign or he's not. Sovereign means he has control over everything. That everything happens according to his plan and purpose. And so... In this situation, we have to come to grips with the good and the bad that God is sovereign over, that he has a purpose. Here is that sense of the school that God is, is, uh, is directing, that there is purpose in what the Lord is doing. And here, God is using David's men to reinforce a vital lesson that David has been learning. He has been learning that that he must depend on the Lord at all times and in all ways. He has just had a, a hard lesson, and as he had departed from that with the Philistines and is delivered, and now the Lord brings that lesson home by the complaints, by the plots of his own men's. I want to just pause and meditate on this in the aspect of leadership and how the Lord had a purpose in this. How tempting it must have been for David to throw in the towel at this point. What a searching test this must have been. As a leader, this is actually a very subtle test. It's one thing to face the opposition of enemies. That's what you expect, right? The enemy is always going to be opposed to you. So you expect them to complain, to plot to kill you. You're on your guard against that. But when your own people turn against you, that's a test that cuts very deeply. In this case, David was in the process of of leading his men to to respond to this disaster. And in the midst of that disaster, he had to respond to the complaints and the plots that they had against him. I can't help but say, isn't this very much like the disasters that we face today? It may not be in the exact form, but the tests of this life rarely come when you expect them. You don't put it on your calendar. Your phone doesn't remind you as you get up, oh, today you're going to be betrayed by your best friends. Be ready for that. No, it's more like you get to the finals week, and you know that those are coming, but you 
discover that, that they're all happening on the same day at the same time. Exactly at the same time. And you didn't know it. No, by the way, you forgot one of them. That's my worst nightmare. I still have dreams about that. <laughs> this isn't a laughing matter, though. Tests of this life catch us by surprise. They catch us in a way that, that we are unaware that comes through in that sense that you get of David being delivered, of, of getting off by, the, by just the skin of his teeth and something of relief and going home and then, damn, the trial was not expected to lose his family and to have his men turn against him. That seems to be part of the point of this chapter. God was continuing to teach David about faith and dependence. I could state it in a more general way so that you would understand that this is something that does indeed apply to you today. God is at work in those tests to train you in your faith, that you can depend upon God and must depend upon God in every situation of your life, that he is strong. Therefore, strengthen yourself in the Lord. That's what dependence is, after all. It's an exercise of your faith. And I want to put it that way because uh, I sometimes feel like the word faith faith is is not understood very well. It can be a nebulous term. It can uh, have the impression of, uh, uh, of a blind leap into the darkness, hoping against hope. But biblical faith is something very different. Biblical faith has sure promises of God that we rely on. So we don't take blind leaps, our faith stands on a foundation that is firm and secure. And so when you think about what is faith, what does it look like, the the term dependence might be helpful to you. Think about uh, faith being exercised in the context of life. You're depending on someone. So dependence is faith in action. You believe God. You trust him. You depend upon him. And This is the test. It's the lesson that David is learning. The Lord is our strength. Therefore, strengthen yourself in him. Going on then, I want to develop that concept of dependence is faith in action. On your notes, you could put that as number two, dependence is faith and action. I'm going to go immediately then to describe it as we see it here in this passage. Because dependence strengthens you to face disappointment. Imagine again what David faced. He narrowly escapes. He comes back and instead of a warm welcome at home, 
he has even more trouble than a Christian of every age and a Christian of every era faces similar tests. You face disappointments, maybe daily, disappointments that may come from unexpected expectations. It's kind of a play on words, I guess, that came out. Unexpected expectations, or excuse me, I meant to say unmet expectations. I expected good health. I expected school to be easy. I expected a promotion or advancement in my career. I expected all my relationships to be happily ever after. I imagine that as you meditate, even this morning, that you could add to that list of unmet expectations, disappointments that you have faced this week, this month, this year. Disappointment can come from traumatic events as well, like David faced, the loss of a loved one, the betrayal of a friend, a broken relationship. And disappointment can so quickly turn to distress and despair. What will you do with that disappointment? Table Talk observes that suffering and distress are like a school that can do one of two things. They can drive you away from God. Or they can teach you to rely on him. You probably know someone that has demonstrated their response to the test of disappointment in both of those ways. You probably know someone who has become bitter and cold because of what they have gone through. Bitter and cold towards God. And perhaps you feel yourself leaning that way yourself. At the same time, I hope that you also know others that that have gone through trials that you could barely imagine. You look at their lives and you think, how can they not be crushed by that? And instead of coming coming through just barely with their faith intact, they, they seem to flourish. They seem to glow with their faith. How does that happen? Well, it happens because, because God is strong, because their faith resides in him, not something that is worked up in and, of, in and of themselves, but because the Lord God himself is strong. And it happens then by the exercise of faith, that there's, there's a posture and a practice of reminding yourself deliberately that you can trust God in the midst of this trial. Jesus is strong. He can indeed keep what you have committed to him. He has and can deliver you body and soul 
This is why I read from 2 Timothy, Paul's words to his, uh, to his fellow pastor Timothy. He says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. It means that disappointments come in this life. They, they do. But the Lord is, is the foundation that you stand on. Without that, those disappointments will drive you away from Christ. It will quench the hope and the love that you have towards him. Instead, as you face those disappointments, nurture your understanding that the Lord is strong. Secondly, dependence teaches you how to stand under opposition. This is another quality of Christian leadership that comes out in David something that he is learning by God's discipline and by his providence. By the way, I'm just struck how, how there's a prefiguring of Jesus Christ in this. We're told in the New Testament that the Lord learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And David is, is learning the same things. David is faulty and he falls often. And Christ learned this as the mediator, the God-man and without sin. But here, what is the opposition? Well, it's the opposition from his own men. And we must say that David appears to deserve some criticism. He had acted on his doubts. He had failed. He had forgotten the promises of God. He, he, he ran away to the Philistines. He led this double life. He takes his men with him. Uh, as he takes matters into his own hands. So he's forced into a position of maintaining this double life. He has to appear with Achish for this, uh, uh, for this war that has been called. But in doing that, he left his wife, and the family of all of his men, unguarded back at Ziklag. For all of his military cleverness, David did not account for that. So the Amalekites come, they raid, they, uh, they take away his family. So criticism is warranted. Some of the criticism wasn't warranted. Sure, his men were grieved, but they, they rush to the conclusion that they'd be better off with David dead. Really, wow. Talk about cancel culture. Wasn't this the man that God had anointed to be the next king? Wasn't, hadn't he proven himself faithful in his leadership over and over again? Now you want to kill him? Well, David faced this opposition. He faced this, this criticism, and he didn't wilt under it. That, too, is a character trait that grows up out of faith, that grows up out of dependence. Our approval is not based on what other people think. Leadership has its eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. And we're wanting to please him, and we're wanting 
to follow him and to draw those that we lead along to follow in this path. If we listen to every criticism and as we're swayed by every opposition, we go here and there and everywhere. But leadership needs to keep that uh, dependence standing upon the rock of Jesus Christ. I like the way Gordon Ketty puts it when he says that it is no use if a leader rolls over and gives up when his people complain. The reasonableness or unreasonableness of their complaint is irrelevant. Do you get that? It's irrelevant. This is, in the last analysis, why they are followers, and he is the leader. They're only proving why they need a leader. His task is to prove that he has the metal to be their leader. <laughs> Leadership doesn't wilt under opposition. A character trait that grows up out of dependence. It grows up out of this focus on the Lord's strength, the Lord's way. You can apply this characteristic to any sort of leadership. We're praying that the Lord would, would grant other elders and deacons in our congregation. We pray for, for leaders like this. Those that would be able to, uh, to handle criticisms in a godly fashion. Not be swayed by opposition, but have eyes fixed on Christ. We pray for national leaders that would be like this, for local leadership that would not lead with their finger to the wind, just following popular opinion. No, we want leaders that, that are godly, those that understand what it is to, to provide leadership, not just to follow along with the crowd. We pray for faithful parents Parents who firmly hold to convictions and lovingly lead their children. Can you imagine leading your children with your finger to the wind? What do you kids want to do today? Why imagine that. And the kids are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, ask your parents about what that would look like later. It wouldn't go very well. You may not believe it right now, but really it wouldn't go very well. Well, this is what it means to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Which leads us to the last point. What does this look like? How do we do this? Dependence trains you to, to, to deliberately strengthen yourself in the Lord. What that means is to, is to gather around you to intentionally call to mind who God is, how he has acted towards you in your life and in history and the promises that he makes, the word that he has given to guide you. This comes out of verse 6 when it says that when David faced dis disappointment and opposition, he strengthened himself and the Lord is God. Quite frankly, this is what we've missed in the previous chapters about David's hiding amongst the Philistines. We've longed to hear David 
remembering God's covenant promises. That's what he did against Goliath. He remembered the promise of God when to fight against the giant. But we don't hear that. Instead, we hear him reasoning in his own mind that Saul would someday capture him. And so he needed to hide amongst the Philistines. In other circumstances, we've been able to turn to psalms that he wrote in the cave. Psalms that he wrote in the context of fleeing from Saul. But we look and we don't find similar words of faith and dependence and crying out to God in this circumstance. We, we long to hear that, but it's absent. David was far from the worship of God, both literally and figuratively. And such absence shows, himself, shows itself in the cool temperature of his heart. But as he comes to realize what God has done, his heart warmed and he looked to God. He looked to God for deliverance. And this has to be the moving of the Holy Spirit. And in this crisis, David deliberately strengthened himself in the Lord. It means he considered God's word and his promises and applied them to this particular situation. This is part of that training program, part of the school that God had David in. It's part of his love and his care for you, too. He works at all times to show you his own strength. He works even through distressing circumstances to prove that he loves you. To what end? So that you could be strong and self-sufficient, not needing anyone, least of all God. Well, no. That's not why, why or how God is strengthening you. I hope you would immediately see it that way. But that's what David did. No, instead, God shows you his strength so that you would strengthen yourself in him. It's kind of like learning to run a race. Dependence is learned over time. Faith is deepened over time. You nurture it now through the simple means of grace that God has given to you. You exercise and train so that you're ready to run. You exercise and train to gain strength and stamina to run a race. And you exercise your faith by deliberately, intentionally looking to God. And that's why we have, uh, have been thinking this year about grace to run the race that is in front of you. That's why we've been encouraging you to, uh, to have plans to read your Bible on a regular basis, a daily basis, so you're familiar with how God has acted in history. And you could say, God has been faithful to those saints of the past. Surely he is faithful today to me. And you can strengthen yourself by reading and meditating on the promises of God and considering how those apply in this particular situation. So that when distress has come up, you can turn your thoughts away from disappointments away from the distressing memories and turning to think on his strength 
on his faithful love. You strengthen yourself in the Lord through the practice of prayer, which will be the subject that comes up next in the text. I'll reserve that for next week. And using these ordinary means of grace, you develop a certain muscle memory so that just like running that physical race, your body remembers how to respond as the trial rises up. As you practice those ordinary means of grace, they mean something. They have value. It's not just a mechanism. It's not just a duty. It's not just something to check the box. It fits in this larger life that the Lord is calling you to. It fits in the grace for the race that he has in front of you. For you will face disappointments. You will face opposition. When you go through those trials, what will you do? What will you do with those disappointments? Will that trial be an event that pushes you over the edge into unbelief, into a cold turning away from the Lord? Well, God, may that never be. May it not be that those temptations tip you over the edge to turn your back upon God. Instead, may the Lord Jesus Christ sustain you in the midst of that trial. May he sustain you in every test and disappointment and trauma and every opposition that you face. May he sustain you, reminding you of the things that you are reading today and this week so that in those days to come, when those trials come up, that you will remember that the Lord is with you that he is strong. And knowing this, may you strengthen yourself in the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you that in David we can see one who is clinging to our Savior, Jesus Christ, one who strengthened himself in the Lord our God. Today, as we worship you, we are reminded that you are indeed strong, that you are faithful to never turn away your children. So, God, we cry out to you today. We confess our own weakness, and we pray that you would sustain us in the days to come, that you would sustain us today because of those disappointments and trials that we face today. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of those promises. May you call them to mind. May your spirit be at work day by day, reminding us of your strength and your faithful love. For the Lord our God is strong. And though the tree may not blossom, the fruit may not be on the vine, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, We will rejoice in the Lord. We will have joy in God of our salvation. Lord God is my strength. May you make our feet like deer's feet upon high places. In Jesus' name, amen.
close with Psalm 20. I chose this for the uh, for the prayer of uh, that is our confession, as stanza five says. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in this: that the Lord is our God and none besides. But I also like this as a, a psalm of David thinking of a prayer for the king and thinking of that leadership that we exercise. May it be a prayer for us and our dependence upon the Lord. Let's stand and sing Psalm 20b.